Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you, get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message. Good to see everybody. It's good to see you. Thank you. What a what a dad. What a dad. This guy. Hey, it's Father's Day, and I just want to welcome all the dads. If you're a dad in the room, you're amazing. You're amazing. Like I just want to honor you for everything that you do because I'm certain you are uh, absolutely incredible. Um, like like I've been telling my wife that I am. Uh, just, I'm amazing. It's the one day we can walk around saying I'm amazing. And uh, <laughs> enjoy your day. Enjoy your day. Um, hey, I, I do know that, that on Father's Day, it, it can be kind of uh, difficult for some people. Maybe for you, you've been estranged from your father, and so a day like this is difficult. Or uh, perhaps your father passed away, and you just wish he was here with you today. And, and I just recognize that today, and, and I want to say, uh, I just pray that God would uh, encourage you and bless you during your time, and, uh, and maybe for you, you've just got, you've got a great relationship with your dad, and you're here with him today, like, good for you, like, that's great, and, uh, and we celebrate that, and um, it's good, it's good, you know, but before, before this, this service, I, I just, I don't feel this all the time, but I certainly felt it leading up to this, uh, this sermon, um, just a lot of resistance uh, spiritually towards this sermon. Not because this is like some sort of like hype you up, like ah, like, but because I think this this is transformational and foundational if you get it. And I believe it can change the course of your family, and it can change the course of your generations if you if you get what I'm what I'm here to bring today. And so I, I just want to encourage you to lean in. And uh, if there's anything weird with the sound today, just know that we are constantly changing things with the panels and the walls. And, the, and so I just want to give it up to the sound people that are figuring it out as we're, as, as we're moving. It's like a moving target lately. It's just a, it's, it's just, it's a moving target. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I love being a dad. It's, it's a lot of fun. Being a dad is a lot of fun. Um, I enjoy spending time with my kids. Um, my daughter, she's a bookworm. And so the other day she asked me if... Uh, if she could get a bookmark, and I said, well, honey, like, yes, you can get a book, but you've, you've been in our house for 13 years, and you should know my name is Roger. That was for you. That was for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, what, what did the evil chicken lay? Deviled eggs. Uh-huh. 
So funny. <clears throat> my dad, my dad's super fun. So um, growing up, my dad was, uh, he, he doesn't want to be like the smartest person in the room, but he wants to be the funniest person in every room. And so, and he, he is honestly pretty funny, uh, unless you grew up with him and you know all of his jokes. And then it's not, <laughs> so you're, just, you're just waiting for him. Like, uh, like seriously, with my dad, like if his mouth is moving, uh, just don't believe it. It's probably, probably a joke. And um, just always goofing around, always having fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun as a kid just uh, all his crazy stories and antics but uh, but there's also some some like hair raising moments uh, with dad that were uh, that were interesting so at one time uh, I was fishing it was my dad uh, myself and my brother-in-law Toby we were uh, we were fishing on the Russian River in Alaska and the Russian River is a very popular river to fish because it's right next to the highway, which means there's lots of anglers fishing this river. Uh, that some might call it like combat fishing at times where you're shoulder to shoulder with other people. Uh, but you're not just shoulder to shoulder with other people. What's so unique about this river is it's a high density of brown bears. And so uh, on this river, you're guaranteed to fish next to brown bears uh, right off the highway. And so we were out there and uh, we, were, we were catching, um, I, I don't know, what probably reds or silvers or something. And, and we're having, having a good time. And uh, I, I remember as we're coming around a bend in the river, my, my brother-in-law, he, he looked at my dad and said, hey, dad, uh, there's a bear. And my dad looked back at him and said, there's fish over there? And he said, no, there's a bear. He said, oh, fish over there. No, there's a bear. And my dad begins walking around the bend in the river as my brother-in-law is pointing, saying, no, there's a bear. And my dad is saying, oh, there's fish over there. And he, wa <laughs> he walks around the bend in the river, and he's face-to-face, -face, like 10 feet away from this, this big old brown bear. <laughs> it's, it's right there. And he's like, why didn't you tell me? He said, I told you. There's a bear. <laughs> he's I, I thought you said there was fish over there. <laughs> it was just a funny, it was a funny time of, uh, of miscommunication. I, I, I think miscommunication happens a lot. A lot of times, especially uh, in the life of uh, children and their dads, there's often miscommunication. Anybody ever experienced a little, a little misunderstanding, a little, a little something that was not communicated quite Right? I, I think we've all misunderstood or been misunderstood. Maybe, maybe for you, someone took your kindness and your compassion as weakness, and they misunderstood that you were, you were genuinely uh, you know, serving and, and trying to help, not, uh, but you weren't putting yourself in a place to be taken advantage of. Or, or maybe for you, um, you misunderstood somebody and, and you're fresh, you felt like they were, they were upset at you, but the truth is they were just having a really bad day. And what, they, what they're going through had nothing to do with you. Or, or maybe for you, you, you made an agreement about something passing. In passing, you made an agreement and, uh, and there was a misunderstanding because you never really took the time to, to sit down and to, to discuss the details of that agreement. Can I just tell you that when it comes to misunderstandings, what we hear matters. Uh, not, not what was said matters, but what we hear matters. Uh, uh, sometimes people will, will say, oh, you said this, and you think, my, has anybody ever like, said, like, oh, you said this, and you're like, I never said that. 
That happens to me all the time. I'm a public speaker. People always misquote me. Always. They're like, you said this. I didn't say that. That's what you heard. But the thing is this. When it comes to misunderstanding, what really matters is what we hear. What really matters is what we hear. And so uh, we're we're in a collection of messages. We're, We're kind of closing it up today. A collection of messages that are out of the book of Genesis in the Bible. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. Uh, The word Genesis means beginnings, and that's exactly what this book gives us. It gives us the beginnings of of humanity, the beginnings of God's plan for people, beginnings of what it looks like. It's it's like the, the initiation point for all kinds of things, like what it looks like to live for God by faith and what it looks like to go through discouraging seasons and what it looks like to, to go through all these things. It's the beginnings of all kinds of things, including the beginnings of like all the chaos and dysfunction that is in the world around us. It's all in the book of Genesis. In fact, the person sitting next to you is dysfunctional. And that means you are sitting next to them. You are dysfunctional. We all are. We all are. I think when we look at other people, I'm like, oh, they just got problems. That's, you haven't paid attention to your own life. <laughs> and so in this book of Genesis, what's interesting is as it describes the beginnings of what it looks like to live for God in, in a great way, what it looks like to worship God, what it looks like to walk through discouraging seasons, there's this, there's, it's all based around three members of one family. Their names are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are three fathers. Uh, in fact, we would call them the fathers of faith or the patriarchs of faith. And the youngest one, um, his name is Jacob, and he has sons. And his youngest son, at this point in the story, there is another son that is younger. But his youngest son, and then halfway through what I'm talking about today, there will be another younger son. His youngest son is named Joseph. Joseph is a very interesting character that we've been talking about throughout this collection of messages that he he has dreams like he has these god dreams these incredible dreams from god that that um that kind of set him off in this direction in life and uh and those dreams have details and discouraging moments and he's his life is like a groundhog's day it's like the same thing keeps happening over and over as though god has a plan for his life but it just seems to be the circular struggle has anybody ever experienced that sometimes it seems like you just keep going through the same situation over and over again it could just be that god has a plan for your life could just be and, and, and this young man, Joseph, it, what's so interesting, you know, when I was a little kid, I was, I was little, little, and I remember my parents bought me a picture Bible. Uh, I grew up in church. I, I fell asleep in church pews. This is before we had church chairs, which, speaking of, they're, they're literally at this very moment installing chairs next door, which is amazing. Uh, and, but, but somebody, so I'm like, I'm going to go look. No, don't look now. Look, look later. And uh, so... But my parents gave me this picture Bible when I was a kid. It was this little red, hardbound uh, Bible. It wasn't little. It was actually huge. It was like, it like, it like as a little kid, it let you know, like, this is the word of God. You know what I mean? It was huge. It was, it was a big Bible for a little guy. And, uh, but I, I enjoyed it. I, I remember just, like, pouring over the pages of it. In fact, one of, my, one of my disappointments is that when we moved to Idaho, I lost it. And I just wish I still had that same picture Bible. I, uh, it's very unique. I've looked for it, can't find it. But, um, 
But I remember as a little guy reading the story of Joseph, and I, even when I was little, like eight years old, I always had this question that just didn't make sense to me. The question in the story of Joseph that never made sense is, why doesn't Joseph write home? Why, why doesn't Joseph write a postcard home? Like, why doesn't he shoot an email home and be like, hey, like, <laughs> you forgot about me? It, it would have saved him a lot of trouble if he just simply communicated. But when I ask that question, I think it's really easy to answer initially. Like, it's very easy, and, and that is, like, number one, there wasn't, like, this United Postal Service. Like, there wasn't, like, International FedEx. There was nothing like that in his day. And, and he, was a, he was a long ways. I mean, he was, he was a long way by foot from where his home was. And so that, that would make it hard. The, the next obvious thing is he was, he was a slave. And, and you're not giving slaves, like, uh, writing privileges. Like, like I, think, I think rule number one, if you're like in, in Egypt and you've got uh, like a, a slaves, you, you don't let them write home to tell them where you are. And then he, he ends up in prison. And so again, that, that makes perfect sense. Like in prison, like nowadays, you, you, if you're an in, in, in inmate, you have some phone privileges, you have some, some letter privileges, handwritten letters you can send back and forth. And um, but in his day, they, they wouldn't have had all of that, certainly not for somebody in a, in a prison. But what makes this question hard is he becomes the vice regent of all of Egypt. He becomes the guy in charge underneath Pharaoh, like the one that actually calls the shots. Like, like, in, like in England, like you have a king and then you have a prime minister. The prime minister actually runs the show. That's who Joseph becomes. He becomes the person that is hands-on running the entire nation. And he doesn't write home. Like he had influence, he had power. I'm sure he had some papyrus and he could write. But he he didn't write home. And, and it's not a matter of like, oh, just for a couple of weeks he didn't write home. He didn't write home for nine years. Seven great years and then two years into a famine before his family shows up. And he never writes home. Why? It seems like a curious thing to me. And if I was Joseph, I'd probably just, you know, write a postcard. Like, hey, hey dad, like, I'm in Egypt. It was a little rough at first, a little bumpy. Uh, a little miscommunications happen, but now everything is fine. Like, they have pineapples here. I wish you were here. Like, I'd write, I'd write a postcard. But, but Joseph doesn't write a postcard. And I think there are clues in this story of Joseph's life as to why he never writes home never calls on his family. He finally meets his family seemingly out of coincidence or happenstance. And obviously we know because we have this bigger perspective, God is orchestrating things, but it's not because Joseph is trying to contact his family. He's not. Why? Well, I think if we look at the story from Joseph's perspective, we see things differently because for us, we know more in the story than Joseph knows in the story. This is, this is one of those things in, in literature we call it like dramatic irony where, where the reader knows more in the story than the participant 
in the story. And so what is it that we know that Joseph doesn't know? Because when we read it, we can see God's hand orchestrating the story. But when Joseph is living the story, it is very different. There's one key element in this story that Joseph knows nothing about. It's the most important thing Joseph could know, and he doesn't know it. Joseph does not know that after he was sold into slavery, his brothers ripped his robe and smothered it in blood and gave it to their dad, lying, saying he died. He doesn't know this. He, he doesn't know. He, he does not know about a blood-stained coat. What does he know? What Joseph does know is this, that he was raised in a home and when he was about 17 years old, he began to have dreams of a future and dreams of, of, of honor and influence in his life. He began to have these dreams that God was going to do something through him. And he knew that this created resentment from his 10 older brothers, that this didn't make it a happy family situation. Joseph, Joseph knew this. He also knew his family was blended in the most weird of ways. It was, it was a difficult family situation. And Joseph, he tells his brothers and they're jealous and then the bible says he has a second dream and in the second dream he tells his father the dream and when he does his dad's response is less than favorable i mean joseph had a robe of many colors but but, but being honored by your parents by something nice doesn't necessarily mean you are favored. He might not have received it as favor. It could have just meant you're doing a good job from a little kid's perspective. But when he tells his dad his dream, here's what the Bible says. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 10, it says, This time he told the dream to his father as well as his brothers, but his father scolded him. His father, like if there's one person you should be able to tell your dreams to and they encourage you and they, they champion you and they get behind what you're saying and they're like, yes, like you can do it, you can make it, like let's go, like whatever God's put in your heart, let's go for it. That's not what he gets from his dad. What he gets is his dad saying these words, what kind of dream is that? What kind of dumb dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to, to the ground before you? So what Joseph receives, instead of his dad, like, great son, I'm glad you've got ambition for his life, his dad says, that's a stupid dream, scolds him and says, how dare you think that we would bow to you? And it is no coincidence that the very next verse goes into the next scene. It goes from his dad scolding him to this phrase. It says, his dad scolded him, his brothers resented him all the more, his dad hid this in his heart, wondering what this could mean. And then the next verse says, soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks in Shechem. And when they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. 
I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the writer goes straight from Joseph being scolded by his dad to being sent to Shechem because Shechem is no ordinary place in their family story. Shechem is the place where their, 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 their sister Dinah had been sexually assaulted by a man in the city of Shechem. And so Joseph's brothers went to the city and killed 400 people as retribution. Shechem is the place where his brothers opportunistically murdered an entire city because they felt they had been wronged. Shechem is, is the place where it's ground filled with the blood of revenge and violence. Shechem is not a great place. And so he's, he, he, immediately it goes from his dad scolding him to you're going to the place that our family has bad blood. And when he shows up, when his dad says this, Joseph's response is, he says, I'm ready to go. Like, I, here I am, is what he says. It's the same exact phrase that Abraham uses when God says, go and bind Isaac on an altar. It's this phrase of, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do, but I'll do it. I think there's a sense of impending danger. And yet this young man has a response of trust in the face of being unsure. Like, like we look at the story and we think, oh, everything's fine, but everything is not fine. Like sibling rivalry is at its very worst. And, and he shows up in Shechem, and when he gets there, they're nowhere to be found. Just a stranger finds him wandering in the fields and says, your brothers have gone to a different location. Go to the different place. And, and when he gets to the different place, it's immediately his brothers trap him and, and they rip off his cloak and they throw him in a dry well and then they sell him to slave traders and then the slave traders take him to Egypt and from Egypt he's sold to a man named Potiphar whose wife slanders Joseph and sends Joseph to a prison like all of this and Joseph has no idea about a coat that has blood on it telling his dad a lie. He doesn't know about the coat. And, and the reason this matters is Joseph knows the family history. Like somebody say, oh, but he understood. Like he trusted God had a plan for his life. He he knew God was doing so. No, he knew the family history. Two generations earlier, Abraham removes. He uninvites Ishmael from the family. He lived in a family where it was okay to uninvite someone from the family if other family members had a problem with them. One generation earlier, his own uncle was removed from the family. Like he is well aware that in his cultural setting, it is normal when there are family sibling rivalries to remove a family member to keep the peace. You see, what Joseph heard matters. But what he did didn't hear matters. Preacher, I think that's kind of a leap for you to say all this about Joseph. I, I, kind of, you're kind of messing with my Bible story. I, I think you're wrong. That's fine. But understand this, that after Joseph 
becomes the head of all of Egypt. Pharaoh gives him the wife of a, of a or the daughter of a priest to become his wife. And he has two, two sons. Their names are Ephraim and Manasseh. And here's what the Bible says. It gives the meaning of the names as he tells the names. Watch this. This is in Genesis chapter 41. It says, Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, watch, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's house. But, but I thought you were like holding on to hope about, every, I thought you were like holding on to everyone in your father's house. In fact, some translations, most translations translate this, he has made me forget my troubles from my father's house. The troubles in my father's house. The dysfunction in the house I grew up with. He's saying God's given, God has blanked out all the dysfunction I grew up with is what he's saying. It's what he names his son. And then his next son, it says, and Joseph named his second son Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. He's saying, I thank God that I've been able to forget all that happened in my, my parents' house because there was a lot of dysfunction that was going on in my parents' house. And even though I have all this grief, God has blessed me in this grief better than he blessed me in my family. That's what he's saying. Because Joseph doesn't know about a robe that is covered in blood. What we didn't hear matters. What we didn't hear can shape the way we view the world around us. What we didn't receive from a father can shape the way we view the world, even if it wasn't, if we, even if it was a misunderstanding and it wasn't the way things really were. If it's the way we perceive it, it changes the way we live. What a dad does is very important. I mean, Joseph's dad gives him a robe and shows him honor and gives him jobs and, and responsibilities. That's very important. But what is very important is what a child hears. What really matters is what we hears. Because Joseph only knows what he has experienced. He doesn't have the book of Genesis. He only knows what he has heard and what he has seen. Maybe for you, you've sat in a classroom struggling with the test because you don't remember hearing how to do the problem. Maybe for you, you struggled because of what you didn't hear. You, you, you feel like, like when they left, they just didn't give a good enough reason for leaving. Or, or, or maybe when they let, go, let you go from that job and, and with no explanation, you just didn't hear why. Or, or maybe for you, that loved one passed before you could have a critical conversation. It was not what you did hear. It's what you didn't hear that mattered. Joseph lives this life being stripped of his robe, thrown in a pit, and dragged off into a different country to be a slave. And the story goes that Joseph eventually gains favor with Pharaoh. And as he gains favor with Pharaoh through the hand of God, Joseph is completely restored. 
He's given a new family. He's given a new name that means God speaks and he lives. He's given honor and prestige again. Like, like everything that was taken from him is returned to him from a new father named Pharaoh. He has a new father figure in his life called Pharaoh. And the bulk of this story is going to be the family coming to terms with this whole situation. In fact, it's an amazing story. If, if, you, if you read it, it's amazing when Joseph begins to forgive his brothers. It is, the, I think, the most honest, brutally honest explanation of forgiveness I've ever seen. Because I think sometimes we just make forgiveness like, oh, just forgive and forget. It's easy. But when you see Joseph's story, he begins manipulating. He begins just acting on them. He begins holding leverage and power. He begins asserting himself on, over them because it's so easy to go from being the victim to being the, the, the abuser when you have a moment. It's, it's so much easier to become an abuser than it is to become a forgiver. And Joseph is, is navigating this. In fact, if you read the story, you'll realize really quickly that Joseph isn't always the good guy. When he has power over his brothers, he becomes the bad guy. And how many of us have done that? We've been wrong through a misunderstanding. And so our response is to become the bad guy, even though we feel justified in who we are. His brothers come, and he, through a, a long string of manipulation and mind games, he finally brings the entire family in. When he brings his father home, there are these moments that at first seem distant, and then we begin seeing a reconciliation of the relationship. Because remember, Joseph doesn't know about a coat covered in blood. He brings his father in, and when, when his father comes into the house, the first person Joseph introduces him to is Pharaoh, Joseph's new dad, Joseph's new friend, Joseph's new life. And rather than stepping into his son's new life and pointing fingers and saying, you are Egypt, you're evil, you're bad, this is what he does, then Joseph brought his father Jacob, and he presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh turns to him and says, how old are you? And he says, I'm 130 years old and my years have been evil and my years have been shorter than my ancestors. And then he blesses Pharaoh again. I wonder if one of the reasons, it says that his, his years were shorter than his ancestors. He says they were evil and shorter than his ancestors. I wonder if, if Jacob is at the end of his life coming to terms with the fact that early on in his life he did not honor his own father. Because the Bible says that if you honor your mother and father, you will have a long life. And he's recognizing my, I'm coming to the end of my life and my life is much shorter than their lives. I wonder if it's because I deceived so often early on. And whatever is going inside of Jacob, he's got this determination to change things and to begin saying the things that should have been said. Because what we don't hear really matters. And the reason it matters is because what we do hear really matters. 
So Joseph blesses Pharaoh. And then the next chapter, Joseph has introduced Jacob, his father, to his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Jacob, who's become dim in his eyes, he can barely see. He's got these two boys on his knee, and he says, Then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again. But now God has let me see your children too. What healing words from a father to a son. Somehow redoing the wounds of the past, healing those moments of pain from the things that weren't said when they should have been said. He says, I longed to see you and now I can see your kids too. Why? Because what he did here matters. And then Joseph, or then he blessed Joseph. And he said, May the God who goes, may the God before whom my grandfather Abraham and my father Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this very day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May he preserve my name and the names of Abraham and Isaac. And may their descendants multiply greatly throughout the earth. Jacob is finally saying to his son the things his son needed to hear. Because what he hears matters. What he hears really matters. And it goes on and says, so Jacob blessed the boys that day with this blessing. He says, the people of Israel will use your names when they give a blessing. And they will say, may God make you as prosperous as Ephraim and Manasseh. And in this way, Jacob put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh, and this is an incredible moment where somehow Jacob has recognized that I can't change what happened in the past, but I can go back and heal the old wounds of what was not said. And what's really interesting is that in the New Testament, there's a book called Hebrews. Hebrews is, is, an, is an interesting book because we don't know the author of the book of Hebrews. Some scholars would say it was a woman. But in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it lists off all these great moments of faith. Things where people are are responding to God in faith and, and what that looks like. Things like Noah, by faith, building an ark. Like Abraham, uh, in hope against all hope, going to a city whose builder and maker was God. Like, like uh, the, the, the children of Israel with Moses crossing the Red Sea. Joshua bringing down the walls of Jericho. All these incredible feats of faith. And then it says... In verse 21, and it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each one of Joseph's sons and bowed and worshiped as he leaned on his staff. Somehow, God credits an old man speaking the blessings of God over little boys at the same level as Moses putting a stick over a sea and the sea parting. 
Like in, in the eyes of God, there is this, this connection between an old man simply praying prayers of blessings over two little boys as the walls of Jericho falling down. Like it is that much of a miracle. It is that much of a moment for eternity when two young boys hear the words of an elder speaking the blessings of God over their life. Church, when, when righteous fathers, both spiritual and biological, place their hand on their sons or daughters and declare the blessings of God over them, heaven reverberates with celebration. I'm just saying, like, they may be your child, they may not be your child. Like, like, like even in this story of Joseph, what's so amazing is, is in chapter 40, 45, Joseph, it says that Joseph becomes the father to Pharaoh. It says, it says that this young boy, Joseph, becomes a father to Pharaoh. Well, the word there, father, it's, it's a word that can be used for the idea of like a priest. It's saying he's become a spiritual father to a pagan king. In this moment, it wasn't a biological son. It wasn't somebody just because, you know, they're your child, they're your child. No, no, no. Joseph recognized whoever God places in front of me, I'm going to stop wandering looking for a father figure, and I'm going to become the father figure I should be. I'm going to speak into the lives of the people around me and bless them and pray for them and encourage them, lift them up. What would happen in our generation if men would stop just sitting on their laurels thinking their only responsibility is to provide a coat of many colors and instead we would say, I'm going to become a father to the people around me. I'm going to begin to bless them. I'm going to begin to encourage them. It's what our generation needs most. We've got a generation that is lost and confused because we've got so many fathers that are too busy. And what is not heard is important. I would just suggest to you that one of the ways that God chooses to release and empower and to bless people with kingdom mandate and vision from heaven is through the blessing of a father or the affirmation of a father. And I would say that the opposite is true, is that when a father in anger curses his son or, or curses his daughter or through frustration lashes out at them and have negative words, those words have a devastating result for a lifetime. I've got a friend who grew up with a single mom in Cleveland. They were poor. She was doing everything she could. She was working two jobs trying to provide for her kids. And this, this young man graduated high school, joined the military, had a successful career in the military, and then went on and got into a different career and was very successful in his career. He has retirement. He's doing well financially. He's married. He's got a house. Like, he's doing great. Drives several cars. He's doing great. But if you were to talk to this man, you would immediately notice that his eyes are down, and he will refer to himself as just a piece of trash. I'm just a piece of trash. 
What do you mean you're just a piece of trash? You, you are so successful. You've done so many things in your life. Like, you've done a lot. Like, you beat cancer. Like, there's, you've done so, what do you mean you're a piece of trash? And this grown man would tell you, when I was just a little boy living in Cleveland, I was playing in the front yard. He said, and I wandered into the neighbor's yard, and I was playing in his yard, and the neighbor came out, pointed his finger at me, and he said, get off my yard, you piece of white trash. He was just the son of a single mom living in the ghetto in Cleveland, and his entire worldview was shaped by the words of what could have been a father figure in his life. Church, our words create worlds. The Bible says that you have the power of life and death in your mouth. The, the, the words you speak over your children, the words that we hear from others, they transform us. So will they be life-giving or will they be killing? Like, what will the words be that we speak over those around us? power of life and death is in the tongue. Parents, fathers, what they hear matters. So what we speak matters. But you don't understand, preacher, I'm just too busy. I, I, work, I work hard, I work long, I make sure they have food on the table and a roof over their head, and I'm just telling you that's not enough. You've got to speak what wasn't said. Because this young boy lived a lifetime in Egypt. And when he had the opportunity to name his own kids, he said, thank God I've forgotten all of that. Because what he didn't hear mattered. But he didn't hear it. Preacher, you don't, I, like, I'm just the strong, silent type. No, you're not. You're either strong or silent. You don't get to be both. Unexpressed love is not love. And I know for some of us in this room, we're like, man, this is, this is hard. I wasn't expecting. I was Father's Day. I just wanted barbecue. I'm like, I want But I'm just saying, what, what, what would happen? Like, like we, can't, we can't change what happened to us. But we can change what happens to them. We can't change what we didn't hear. But we can change what they don't hear. We can't change what we did hear. But we can change what they do hear. Recently, I went fishing with a bunch of pastor friends. It was, it was a really fun time. And around the campfire, one of them began to share a story. He's a successful, he's successful in the world he's in. If any of you met him, you'd be like, yeah, he's successful. Like, yeah, he's doing, he's doing what he's called to do. Like, you'd be like, he's killing it. But he, he's not in the same sort of church group that his parents were part of. 
His parents were part of a different denomination, a different, you know, like a sect within Christianity. And his parents have been very frustrated that he moved on and is, is doing successful somewhere else. And one, this guy tells a story that he was, he was excited to go relive some old days with, with his dad on a hill looking for animals hunting. So he invited his dad to go for three nights up on a hill hunting. And during the first day as they're walking around looking for animals, he turns to his dad and says, Dad, like looking to his dad as a sage, looking to his dad as, as a father figure, he turns to him and says, Dad, what is something you would never do again in life? Like, I want to learn from your mistakes. And his dad, without hesitation, says, I would not fail to teach my kids how to live for God. He's baptizing people. He's like in, in, in the church world, like he's doing a really good job. But all he can hear is his dad say, I completely failed at raising you to live for God because you're not doing it my way. Can I just tell you that the power of life and death is in the tongue? And it matters what we say. It matters what they hear and it matters what they don't hear. It matters what they don't hear. The band would come. I think what's so incredible about this is that even in this story, this idea that, that a father would, would bless their children. In fact, ancient, the ancient people of Israel, this is what they did. Live a lifetime praying, fasting over their grandchildren and their children. And on their deathbed, instead of everyone else mourning them, they would lay hands on them and bless them. I had a family member named Jewel pass recently. And every single family member out of the dozens that joined her in her hospital room said they would go in there to go comfort her and frail Jewel would turn towards them. She would lay, their hands on, lay her hands on them and she would play the, the blessings of God over them. I'm just saying, what would happen if we used our voices for the good that God intended us to do, to right the wrongs, to heal the pains? Because we've got a generation that is confused and lost and bitter because we don't do this. Jesus, even Jesus, like he's God. He, Je, Jesus is the son of God, but he's, he's God. Like he's not like different, like he's God. God. Like, like you don't get more God than Jesus. He's not like God's little emissary. Like he is God manifest in the flesh. Like he is, he is it. And when he's on earth, he still receives the affirmation of the Father. Twice. Once while he's going into the waters of baptism. And a second time when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. Both times the exact same words of affirmation from God over his life. What would it do? Here's what it says in Mark chapter 1 verse 11. It says, and a voice. He's, he's entering baptism waters. He says, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son. Who I love. And with you I am well pleased. Why? 
because God knows that what isn't heard matters and what is heard matters he says you're my son I, I just want to stop and say like if you're a dad in the room I'm giving you marching orders right now like this if, you, if you've wondered like how do I become a dad like there's no instruction book for life like there's no instruction book for life that's why God gave dads true dads here's your marching orders you look them in the eyes and you say you are my son you are my daughter what is, what is he doing he's speaking identity and belonging because identity doesn't come from what we choose regardless of what culture says identity comes from where, who we belong to this is why our culture is struggling. Like, we are struggling as a nation because we're searching for identity in the kind of clothes we wear, in the, in the job we work, in all the things. I'm telling you, identity comes from belonging. And if, if we as a culture don't figure it out, we need to brush up on our Chinese. <laughs> belonging comes from who we, or, or identity comes from who we belong to. Dads, hold your kids tight. Say, hey, you're mine. You are not walking through life alone. I'm your ride or die. Other people, they'll leave you. Other people, they may walk away. I'm not going to leave you. I, I, I'm not, you're not abandoned. You're not alone. I'm with me, with you. You are mine and you belong to me. You're, you're, my, you're my child. Like, you're not an accident. You're not some sort of incident. I, I want you. I, you belong to me. Like, this is important. Identity is important. We've got a generation confused on identity. And can I just tell you, like a huge level of the onus of that belongs to fathers not speaking identity and belonging over children. You're mine. This is, this is why kids, this is why kids turn to gangs. This is why kids kids run off and do things that are crazy because they're looking for belonging. And I'm just telling you, it is the job of a father not to nurture children. That's the job of a mother, to nurture. The job of a father is to affirm. It means I'm telling you, you're mine. You're mine. We, we, don't, we don't separate, you're mine. He says, you're mine. You're my son. And then he says this, who I love. It is important as a father that we show affection and love towards our children. And we live in a culture, in a society that has hijacked the idea of male affection as though male affection is only homoerotic or else we don't do it. And can I just tell you that men throughout centuries have simply been able to show affection with no strings attached. Just showing affection. Say, I love you, son. What would happen if the men of this generation would say, I love you. I love you, daughter. I love you, son. It would change hearts and it would heal wounds of what wasn't said. Then he says this, with you, I am well pleased. He's saying, I'm proud of you. What's interesting is Jesus has not done anything up until this point. Jesus' ministry has not even begun yet. 
and he says, I'm proud of you. You haven't done a stitch. You haven't done nothing. I'm proud of you. Church family, fathers, listen. We need to bring identity, belonging, affection, and affirmation. And when we do that, we transform the wounds of what was not said, and we can heal a generation. Would you stand with me across the room? Let's just, uh, let's, let's have a, like a prayer of, I'm just feeling for the men. Like, let's have a prayer of commitment to this. Uh, we, we can search, we can search forever for a father figure, but let's be like Joseph's and say, no, I'm going to become a father. I, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do it right. I may not have had the best example, but I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it by speaking identity, belonging, affection, and affirmation. So here we go. Let's just. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I, I, I speak right now over every man in this room, whether a biological father or a spiritual father, that they would have the courage to speak what they see, that they wouldn't leave things unsaid until the end of life, but they would speak the words that need to be known now. God, that there would be healing in our generation, that there would be healing in our land, not from name-calling or, or, or complaining and, and, and bickering, but there would be a healing in our land by men and fathers speak the words of affirmation over their sons and over their daughters. I pray that you would give men the courage and that they'd have the, the, the Holy Spirit unction to encourage and challenge those around them we would be sons and daughters of God. Maybe you're in this room right now and for you, that's, that's that right there is the, the key of it all. Is you would say, I'm actually not, I don't consider myself a son or daughter of God. Like, I, I'm not right with God. Listen, the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of Jesus, whoever believes in the name of Jesus, he gives the right to become the children of God. What that means is God himself speaks over you the same words he speaks over his own kids. You are mine. I love you. And I'm proud of you. And if you need that in your life, you need to be made right with God so you can receive those affirming words from him. Would you just put a hand up so I can see where you're at, who I'm talking to. If there's anybody that recognizes they're far from him and they need to be right, I see that. I see that. Yeah. Here's what we do. It's really simple. We simply repent and believe. Repent means we're going to turn away from the things in our life that we think, do, or say that don't please God. And we're going to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When we do this, his blood cleanses us from all sin. And he begins to speak words of belonging, identity, affirmation and affection into our lives. Pray something like this in your own words. 
God, I am sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. I'm turning away from them now. Would you forgive me? I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. That he was buried for three days and rose again with all power in his hands. So right now, I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in Jesus Christ alone. Say these words with me. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's some people who just made the best decision of their life. Let's respond in worship. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.